Welcome and thank you for listening to the Green Majority Podcast. We'd love it if you could support us on Patreon. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Green Majority is how you can help and help continue the show being produced. Without further ado, here's the show. This is your host, Stefan Hostetter. Uh, for the second time in three weeks, uh, Darren Kaster had to take a day off, but I'm quite certain he is listening to this live. Uh, so, uh, hello, Darren. Uh, get, I hope you feel better soon. And uh, he is fully intentioning to come back for week three of this three-part series that he envisioned a couple weeks ago. So this, the, the, the brief o- overline of the show... Uh, is that we will be talking about the limits of capitalism, uh, also the limits of growth, as M.A. Ma, who's also in the studio, as well as Deirdre, uh, has joined me in the studio as well. Thank you too much. Um, and, and we're talking about this as a, as a, as a sort of as a, as a foil for a larger conversation to some extent. Uh, so we're going to start with news, because news is always important uh, here on the radio, on the show. And we're going to start with Fort McMurray, because Fort McMurray really is uh, the number one uh, topic that's sort of, you know, it's dominating the, it, it, whenever a news story allows Rex Murphy to trend on Twitter, I determine it to be the news story that Canada's talking about. Uh, and then every time Rex Murphy tr- uh, trends on Twitter, I die a little inside. Uh, <laughs> these are the two things about Rex Murphy that, that I feel. Uh, but obviously the, 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 the news out of Fort McMurray is, is devastating and horrifying and just, uh, and shows the sheer, sheer power of nature. I think that's, the, like, if there's one way I want to frame the Fort McMurray conversation, it's, the, the, it, if you've seen, probably, you've probably seen five, six, ten different ways where this story can be framed, and most of them annoy me. Um, but the one that doesn't is this sort of understanding that Fort McMurray should, if it takes anything, it's actually an article written by Don Pittis uh, in the CBC Business News, actually, interestingly enough, uh, who was a firefighter himself for nearly a decade, and a forest fighter, forest firefighter. Uh, and his take on this is that it shows you that humans can't stand in nature's way. Uh, and if there's one thing I want to take out of this sort of understanding the whole thing is that, that that's what that's what we need to learn from this to some extent. Uh, humans can only live uh, within the realm that nature allows us to. Uh, there's some limits, some might say. Um, uh, and and this is and, and this is and, and every time a big disaster like this happens, the media comes out with the same sort of number of types of stories. Uh, you know, I'm sure the first one that came out of the door was, "Is this caused by climate change?" And then the next one was, "Maybe." Uh, because whenever something like this happens, uh, the question is, is it caused climate change? And of course, the only answer is, well, it could have created the com- it could have created the scenarios that would make this more likely. Uh, but you can never actually pinpoint one particular issue to climate change, as we've said hundreds of times on this show before. Uh, and then you know, and then there's and then and it comes out to the uh, let's not use this as a way to push your political agenda, everybody. Uh, which sounds very similar to the gun issue in the United States. Like whenever something terrible happens with guns in the United States, the reaction always is, we can't do this because of this thing. Uh, it's like, don't politicize. The, you know, we're dealing with a tragedy right now. Don't politicize it. Uh, and, and that's you get the exact same reaction here as well. Uh, and, it's, and for those of you who don't know, I guess I should actually explain briefly what is happening. Uh, a, a massive, massive forest fire is raging uh, in, the, in the Fort McMurray area. It's evacuated the entire city, uh, which, is, which is remarkable because Fort McMurray is not small. Uh, if it's 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 eighty eight thousand people yeah, 80, displaced yeah eighty eight thousand people uh, and they only have one highway uh, actually Darren and I uh, spent some time uh, going through this sort of this very fascinating documentary a couple of years ago about Fort Murray uh, which sort of actually lets you walk through it. Uh, and that sort of experience it in a much more interactive way. Uh, and part of that part of that learning was was just you know there's there's only one highway out of Fort McMurray, uh, and it's a two lane highway. Uh, and and so these are the see, so this is like can you imagine just trying to get eighty eight thousand people out of a two lane highway, uh, uh, like down down to the closest thing? It's 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 a terrifying terrifying experience. And in any of the look at any of the video anything else like that it's it looks it just looks like. You know, like you've you know, like you've descended into the netherworld, uh, and because of the, it's like you know, it's fire everywhere. It's it's, it's terrifying, it really is. Um, and and so and so this is a 
it's also like so. What's interesting about this, and then of course, but what happens because of this is that you get all of these different reactions, uh, and obviously the so there are a whole bunch of things. One big thing is that Red Cross is asking for donations because Red Cross is is one going to step up here. Uh, but we want to sort of expand uh, expand on this topic and, and look at a larger a larger context because. As much as as much as we would like, to, you know, there's only so much that we as a community show in Toronto is going to do to inform you of the vast intricacies of of, of Fort McMurray in, it, in itself. So rather than do that, we're sort of like sort of blow up and talk about a larger a larger concept, uh, which is sort of the first start off the limits of growth, which is something that MA uh, sort of brought in uh, in part because of sort of the other things we're experiencing within this sort of set. Uh, so MA, I'm going to throw to you with that. Yeah, actually, before we get to that, Stefan, um, I just want to make a comment on a couple things. So you talked about the the questions that you find uh, annoying around, is this due to climate change or not? Actually, there hasn't been that much dialogue in the mainstream news making that link. Um, there's actually been an absence of that. I think, you know, first and foremost, we have to recognize that people care about people. So the media is going to talk about the human impacts. And uh, of course, our, you know, hearts go out to the people who've been displaced. It must be a, a horrible feeling. One, about the disorientation of where to go um, and, you know, facing a life-threatening situation and then coming to terms with losing everything that you've worked to build. That's really, really tough. So I think there needs to be some, a great deal of empathy for people in that situation. But secondly, um, one thing that the media has reported is that everyone's recognizing that very, very dry conditions have been a major factor. They won't know for sure. They may never know whether it was lightning or human activity, but we know that that extremely dry conditions have led to the situation. And we have to make that link to our environment, the broader environment. So what this shows, I think, is that there's more of these potential um, episodes around forest fires being out of control due to dry conditions, due to our changing climate that are yet to come. And this speaks not only to the, the need of you know preparedness and being able to respond to this and how it impacts communities and populations, but do we want this to accelerate? Do we want to see more of these episodes? And there's a dearth of analysis around this. I've, I've heard very little coverage of that. Um, in terms of the political dimension, I think, Deirdre, we were having a conversation uh, this morning in the studio, and you had some comments about the politicization of this situation in Fort McMurray. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and like you said, I, uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen too much um, that, that politicizes it on the environmental side, um, but I have seen a couple of stories that, that really, really kind of ticked me off um, in that they were talking about they were they were basically playing the blame game, um, and people were saying this is caused by, or this is they're getting what's coming to them and and stuff along that line. And this isn't this doesn't have to do with the environment. Well, this has to do with, with the environment, obviously, but it's not about the environment. This shouldn't be the focus of the story. This is about a crisis that's happening in our country, and. A lot of hopeful stories are coming out of that um, about the Syrian refugees who are helping uh, with the situation and um, other people who are, are giving their homes to the Fort McMurray refugees and uh, everyone's just trying to, trying to help each other out. And so I think the focus should stop being about the political aspect and, and start being about the crisis at hand. Yeah, and just to jump quickly back into that, uh, for me, I I, I, I I always wonder when like like the the Syrian refugee conversation is, is a fascinating aspect of this, and I, and I saw that as well. Uh, but I, I feel like if you are going to be writing about if you're gonna be if you want to have an article about climate change, uh, and you are and you, and you want to be a proactive person to write about climate change, uh, write about one of the really amazing things that we're doing to 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 fight it, or one of the or one of the, or, or or alternatively bring this actually to go all the way back to having this conversation being okay. So what can we do to stop this? And I think this sort of one side, you know, the Financial Post released an article saying that oil is the oil is actually the good guy in this scenario in, in this conversation, and then and then and then the green and then an environmental organization comes out is like, well, actually, this is cause like. This is you guys caused this, and like this dialogue is the exact kind of dialogue that is not going to be helpful and is toxic to to actually finding a solution to the problem, uh, and 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 and, and, the, and to 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 fl flow into sort of limits of growth piece. Uh, there's also this. You know, if you want to get involved in like like if you want to get involved in actually fighting this sort of thing or or, or working on this sort of thing, why not cover 350.org's. Uh, 
future uh, upcoming uh, big protests. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to talk about climate change, what we're doing about it, why not cover what we're what on the ground activists are doing to try to actually, you know, as as the as the thing's called, break free from fossil fuels. Let's have that conversation. Let's bring that conversation for rather than going back and forth arguing about whether or not this particular incident was caused by climate change or not. Let's talk about the interesting things that we're doing to fight it. So I, th- I think there's no sidestepping the point that the tar sands are at the epicenter of the kind of unsustainable extraction Mm. that the break free from fossil fuels campaign is trying to stop essentially. So here it's almost, and I I don't think we should avoid discussing it, that here we have a tar sands industry that's doing massive environmental damage and also contributing to climate change that's scientifically proven. And yet right at its heart is an example of how extreme weather and impacts on environment can actually hurt communities, those that just happen to be right at the heart of the industry themselves. And it's not, you know, we can talk about that and it's not that we are unsympathetic to the human beings that Mm. are impacted. These are are people who are working people. Um, They're going where the jobs are. They've set up their lives where the jobs are. But the point is that the industry is contributing to this. It's accelerating um, catastrophic impacts globally. And then... At the end of the day, it's in a position to help people um, who it's impacted through its activities and come off as the good guys. Right. And so this is problematic to me. And I think one and it's in it in a way it's good because it does focus the attention potentially. But if people if it's not framed that way in the media, then in a way it could be actually it could come off as a win for this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the refocusing on on back on the not on the people being displaced, but on the industry that's sort of causing it is incredibly important. Um, and I think that's the that's the that's the danger of uh, of using only of only using disaster stories as the it lends into climate change is that it constantly makes it about these these individuals uh, and individuals both you know, as, as people who are say working within the tar sands industry but also being individuals being displaced uh, it, you're not actually having conversation about the larger system that is actually causing the the, the problem to some extent um, and, and we had sort of teased the, uh, the the break free but you have it in front of you, you want to just yeah. Let me give so it yeah that. let's let's properly acknowledge this campaign so break free from fossil fuels is a, a two week global wave of escalated action to keep coal oil and gas in the ground so there's going to be a variety of actions that happen actually in different regions across the world. Uh, a lot of them are direct actions. And there are, a lot of them are taking place sort of at the sites of this very uh, damaging extraction. Well, that's the, the point to really draw attention and try to catalyze this change of committing governments to keep fossil fuels in the ground. Um, I want to just quickly, before we go to the break, talk about an article which we'll have up on the Green Majority website by Bill McKibben which really is talking about this moment in history. And he's a very nice way of sort of crystallizing these, these sort of key moments in our, in our history and drawing attention to why we really need to catalyze action at this moment in time. So it's titled, The Time Has Come to Turn Up the Heat on Those Who Are Wrecking Planet Earth. And I just want to read one paragraph because I think it's quite profound. The moment when, oh, marine biologists across the Pacific begin weeping in their scuba masks as they dive on reefs bleached of life in a matter of days. The moment when drought in India gets deep enough that there are, there are armed guards on dams to prevent the theft of water. The moment when we record the hottest month ever measured on the planet and then smash that record the next month and then smash that record the next month. The moment when science, scientists reassessing the stability of the Arctic ice sheet have what one calls an OMG moment and start talking about the massive sea level rise in the next 30 years, this would be this, would be this moment. So I think that's, I just wanted to read that because we have this human tendency to just defer and defer or kick the can further down the road. And what Bill McKibben is trying to say is the moment is now. Yeah. Uh, and... And, and each one of these sort of different uh, little experiences sort of points to that. Uh, and, and what's interesting is I think there's this idea uh, that in, the, in, in, in what 
was it's this dichotomy I think between this sort of understanding that the system will solve the problem or no we have to walk out and, and fight it and uh, and this is sort of, a sort of tease where it will we'll come to in the second in second part uh, with limits of capitalism which is the the limits of which the system we have in place now has on actually solving the problem what like we've created a system that is not good at taking decisive action uh, when uh, in 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 this sort of manner we've we're in a system that that's not that that is not a way we can very easily do this. Uh, and and we're, we're in a system that's sort of, again, to, to go back to limits of growth, uh, which is the other sort of theme we're running with today, uh, we're in a system that sort of c- it requires growth cons- forever. That's that's currently the cap- – if there's one failing of capitalism, which is repeated over and over and over and over again by environmentalists and everyone else, it's that you can't have an unlimited growth on – you can't have unlimited growth in a finite planet. Uh, and and uh, you know I wrote I wrote five articles trying to figure out whether or not you could or not and, and there are very fascinating ways to if you pull if you pull uh, all of all all of the sort of ca- all of the you know physical pieces of the economy out of out of money to to understand how you could expand the un- understanding of, of 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 capital and of money uh, to to make this possible but in reality you can't just keep digging you know stuff out of the ground because eventually there will be nothing left and and even a small child would understand this and yet this is sort of the system we still to some extent live in uh and and so before we go to the break ma on on, on limits of growth uh little pitch yeah, so I mean, I, I want to just start with a simple statement and then I want to talk about the original book and study, The Limits of Growth, mm-hmm. just to ground the conversation a little bit. But I, one thing I, I really agree with you on, Stefan, is that through all these sort of complex modeling and all this theorizing, um, which is at the core root of our current economic system, there seems to be inconveniently uh, ex- exclusion of the basic fact that we are on a rock in space. Mm-hmm. Really, all economic models, all economic theories need to start with that premise. We are on a rock in space, which means we have finite parameters to work with, regardless of your ideology. There was, yeah, and there was a, there was a guy, there was an article I was reading today, uh, a couple days ago in the Financial Post, or, or one of the business sections of the Gold Mail, perhaps, uh, that was about, that was all about oil. And it was about, it was talking about how oil prices, you know, might not, the, what oil prices at the time meant for, uh, meant for Canadian crude. Uh, and I was reading this article and it's so fascinating that we somehow defer the, the, the people, you, you defer to the people who get to be serious, to the people who talk about money. Uh, and yet you read this quote-unquote serious article about, about capital money, which manages to go an entire piece about the future of Canadian, the Canadian oil sands uh, without ever mentioning that climate change might occur. And it's like we've—it's this weird d- deference to the idea that well, these are the important people. They are all the people in the in the business section. They are talking very rationally, uh, but and yet, but it's, it completely ignores this sort of wider piece that we're under. Uh, so in the second, uh, in, the, in the, right after this music break, we're coming up to right now. Uh, we'll get into sort of that that more deeply. Uh, but I also realized off the top, I forgot to thank both CIUT eight nine point five, which is the place you're listening to, uh, Rabble.ca, who also carries us. And then if you want to catch our full length podcast on GreenMajority.ca. Uh, and of course, thanks to all our radio syndicates as well. Uh, so, uh, for our American viewers, we have a we have a we, we did we are quite Canadian centric for the Fort Murray fires today. Uh, but I promise at the end of the show, we'll at least briefly mention Trump, so you'll get your fix there. Welcome back to the Green Majority on C. IUT 89.5, or perhaps you're sitting on one of our wonderful radio syndicates all across Canada and a couple in the United States, or on Rabble.ca, or listening to our podcast, one of the other options. Uh, again, I'm your host, Stefan Hostetter. Uh, Darren is away today. Uh, he's determined to be back next week, though, so you'll hear his wonderful voice then. I'm in studio with M.A. Ma and Deirdre. Uh, so, and we're talking about the limits of capitalism. Uh, and I wanted to sort of uh, use this section. Uh, I wanted to use the Fort McMurray fire, or actually, I want to use Rex, Rex Murphy's comments. Uh, I want to use Rex Murphy's first line of his of his comments as a sort of jumping off point uh, to to the to the conversation about about capitalism. Because as as, as made, if if you if you're listening to the show, uh, I don't particularly like Rex Murphy. Um, I often think he's wrong. Um, and in in this in in this in the in the in the, in the, in the one I'm referencing actually you know it's mostly a call to help the people in Fort Murray which obviously is important uh, and obviously they should happen and 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 and, and that should not that's not what I have an issue with what I have an issue with is that he opens the sentence with um, he opens the sentence with with that. Uh, the idea that Fort McMurray and the people who are there have improved the lives of Canadians in every province. And he says it's very important for us to remember. 
That's his opening call to then, obviously, then to expect us to help them. Uh, which, again, we should help them. But, A, I, th- I, I kind of question the underlying idea that we, sh- that we should help them because they improved our lives previously. I would say we should help them because they're human beings, but carrying on. Um, the idea that Fort McMurray... Uh, the Fort Murray improved the lives of Canadians in every province fundamentally relies on the fact that making money is a moral good. That the, re- the way they helped was that they made a ton of money and that money then went to the Canadian government and then the Canadian government uh, gave it back to uh, they gave back to Canadians, uh, which is hard to argue. You know, uh, the Canadian government does a lot of good things and does a lot of bad things, but, you know, health care is paid by the Canadian government, and therefore, to some extent, there's some money that someone made in Fort McMurray who paid taxes paid for, uh, paid for someone's health care here in Toronto. That's relatively reasonable of understanding. Um, but what's interesting about this is that viewpoint inherently speaks to limits of capitalism, uh, because if the, if the good that they were doing was not because of the capitalist system they've in place, but rather the money they gave to the government, then the government is the one that is... Then, that, what we're actually looking for is the good that capitalism is doing is is not is not in itself. It's what it's what's enabling. It's enab- capitalism is enabling the government to do to to to, to help people. Uh, but the go- capitalism itself is not is not actually doing anything. Um, or it, you know, it's the, the the money being made is is the, is the fuel perhaps. Uh, but if there's one lesson in the, and there's one lesson coming out of Alberta right now with with the you know oil downturn and more generally speaking, it's that capitalism doesn't really care how much money you made last year. Capitalism doesn't care how much, money you, how much money you made two years ago. It cares how much money you're making now. Uh, and so, so if you don't save up, you're out. It's a, it's a cutthroat business. And, and, and that's often used as a way to sell it. You know, that's the whole idea. And I just wanted to jump in and say when people lost their jobs en masse, nobody appealed to capitalism, the economic system, or the oil sands companies to help people. Right. They actually appealed to the government. I just want to point that out, right. um, despite the fact that these companies have benefited from years of subsidies. So we actually aren't talking about a pure form of capitalism at all that we're looking at in our country. Well, exactly. And, 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 and what's was fascinating is pure capitalism. I, I had this argument a couple of years ago with a friend of mine who's is a little more capitalist than I am. Uh, and he was arguing sort of for the, the, you know, the fundamental argument of capitalism is that, you know, the people who are doing well, the, 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 the people who, who work hard succeed and the people who don't work hard don't succeed. And, and 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 this is a in this and that is a that is a good moral good basically that is a good thing to happen, uh, and I pointed out to him that pure capitalism only gets to happen once. It, you know, if you started everyone off with five hundred dollars and said, "Okay, go out into the world that exists here with nothing else that happened, with with no other pieces of it, and and then do your best," sure, we, that's a conversation I'm willing to have whether or not that is a moral way to go about understanding things. Uh, however, as soon as you have a second generation, the winners of the first one feed feed into the second one, and it becomes this completely unfair system immediately and fall and completely falls down. Um, and, and to go and so to go back to, to what I, my point Emma was making is that capitalism isn't coming to save Fort McMurray. Uh, it's not. Uh, the, and and the, the fundamental critique of conservatives make uh, in limited government politics is that they fight tooth and nail to strip government power because it's taking when, when times are good because it's taking the money away from the from the, from the people in the space. And yet the moment something goes wrong. Then you suddenly you, you fall back and wanting and, and, and want uh, and want people to care about this. You know, it's it's uh, Dick Cheney's uh, Dick Cheney's uh, is, is a great example of, of the of, of this kind of conservative thinking uh, because he is perhaps the most conservative on almost every issue possible, and that and that's somewhat liberal on 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 LGBTQ issues because one of his daughters happens to be happens to be a, happens to be a lesbian, and and this sort of idea that you know that that. You can you can want to limit government when times are good and then fall back on government when times are bad. Fundamentally, does, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. Um, and, and and pure capitalism. Uh, so, so all of this to say, really, is that capitalism only ends up being as good as the regulations and the government that surrounds it. That's that's in, and that's an inherently uncapitalist thing to yeah, say. It's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? Well, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but fundamentally, but but if you if you accept Rex Murphy's case, that's almost that's that is what the argument is here, right? Is that if you accept the case that that capital that that, that capitalism that, that 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 people working within a capitalist system are, are doing good when by paying taxes, and that's how they're helping society, then you then capitalism is completely limited by the uh, by the government by, by by the structure it lives in place of, of its more ab- ability to be moral, um, which of course. 
uh, which of course then when you scale up to to what Darren was mentioning last week, which is this idea of capitalism on a global market where there is none of this, where there is not a global gov- regulation scheme, suddenly capitalism loses in, its entire claim to morality, and suddenly capitalism is, is now the amoral machine that uh, that that is so often critiqued, so, so often critiqued of. Um, and and I think that's the I think that's the part of this that 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 that, that you fall down to because money is amoral and these companies are amoral. They, you know their jobs make as much profit as possible and that's just what they are. I, I I I had a moment at the Globe conference where I happened to be sitting beside a person who I would learn later is a VP of of, of one of the major energy organizations, and I, I I happened to mention that this this idea of the diffusing using the fact that corporations are sociopaths or a, you know uh, as a defense of corporations and she just was confused. Was, I was like, well, you can't hold them accountable because they they don't have morals. Like that's sort of a way. Understand, and she just sort of only ever saw that as a, as as a critique of capitalism rather than just a, a statement of fact. Um, but when you look back at this, it, 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 the fact that capitalism is immoral, and you look back at Rex Murphy's opening line that they were doing good, fundamentally means that no matter what they were doing at Fort McMurray, they were doing good. It doesn't matter if they were running an asbestos mine. It doesn't matter if they were creating nuclear weapons. It doesn't matter if they were running a puppy mill. Uh, whatever they were doing there, if it was making money and feeding it back into the Canadian system, they were doing good. And this is and this speaks fundamentally to the amorality of the system. Is that if if, if you understand that how that just money is important and growth is important, uh, and ca- then then how you do it is fundamentally not a part of the conversation. And 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 this is you know and, and that and that is unquestionably a limit of the, of capitalism. It's unquestionably a, a limit. Capitalism cannot claim to be a a, a moral market, and because it, it is not a moral market, it is a market amongst itself. Um, which sort of brings me to this idea that markets are are sort of seen as a great regulator within 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 capitalism, um, and while they and yet they fail to be this moral market, they're actually quite good predictors. Uh, if you look at if you look at sort of if you ever want to know what's going to happen in the world, markets make a very relatively strong predictors, and, and you, you see the you see the uh, terms of bubbles coming up, which are which are often people prove that that markets are failing their job to predict. Um, you know when the when the tech bubble began, everyone was like, none of these companies are worth anything. Why are we investing in them? Or as we say now, the oil companies are, are we're seeing an oil bubble in that some of this some of this oil will be left in the ground, and so this is proof of markets are not perfect predictors, but they're actually quite excellent predictors when you look at other things. As you know, even within the American election, which we'll get to in, in a little bit, uh, the market predictions on 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 different on 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 who's going to win something like that are actually more are more often correct than any of the polls or even any of, or any of the pundits. It's these it's these weird markets they've people have created to to basically bet on these things that end up being the most accurate. Um, and so all of these sort of things speak to this larger the larger limit of capitalism, right? Like if we, if we, if we expect if, – if the overarching understanding of, of, of a capitalist system is that it, it is regulated by the market and it will, and it will uh, you know, correctly distribute uh, goods and services uh, across uh, – for, for, for everyone in, in the most equal not, – not equal way but most fair way. Because uh, that's a big part of this is that is that equality isn't necessarily important. Fairness is important. Uh, you know, you work hard, you make a lot of money, kind of thing. Um, but it when you look at how that kind of market, how that kind of thing impacts a bunch of other very important parts of our of our of our landscape, of our landscape, uh, it, it it falls down. You know, um, what? How do markets correct? What? what how, how is the market impacted? Say the media. Uh, the only way media can make money now is is through advertising, and that is and that is completely falling down. Um, and or or how does the market you know regulate uh, regulate any sort of any sort of like it, it, like, it, like the, what we consider immoral? Uh, it doesn't at all, and that's the kind of point. And the government we look to the government to, to step in and actually be that moral compass, which then you know once you scale up again, sort of falls to pieces uh, at at a at a worldwide scale. Uh, and the last one before I throw to Emma, because uh, uh, Emma has one that she wants, that, that, that Emma's got the growth piece, which is a very large piece, so I'll give you a, a, a decent amount of time to hit that, uh, is the course the idea of externalities is the last, is the last massive, massive failure uh, of, of a market. Because the market only works, capitalism only works if it fully includes every single thing that could cost money. It only could possibly work if it includes every single externality. Uh, and of course, we talk about externalities all the time on the show, so I won't go into too, too much, but that's, 
and you know the idea that you have to fill in like what's fascinating about this is is, is whenever the government has to step in on these issues that is an example of an externality and a market failure uh, if a perfectly functioning market would have already had a scenario in which insurance companies would have already solved all, would, would have already had all of the homes ready for for the people in Fort McMurray, and they already would have been fine, and, and if, if capitalism were perfectly, that's how it already would have happened. Uh, but that's not what's happening. The government ends up falling back down to government ends up being called in to be the final insurance agency, uh, and you see this time and time again with different environmental issues. Uh, you know, whether it's oil spills in the Gulf Coast, or uh, you know, or, or or any of the other raging forest fires we see. Um, or in other situations, you know, when, or the Flint water crisis. You know, these are places where, where, where to some extent, our understand our regulatory system uh, failed in some way, and so we had, uh, we end up this massive expansion of of, of toxic toxic or you know or fire uh, in our in our environment, uh, and and the government is expected to step in and be that final piece. And every time the government steps in, uh, it should be understood that that is a failure of mar- of market capitalism uh, because it's not doing its job to incorporate all these externalities. Uh, and of course, things like carbon ends up being some, so perhaps the largest externality because ha- it comes down to the how you how do you price in the, the tar- fact that tar sands are causing climate change to then pay for the pay for the the fires or the increased storms? You don't. You can't. Uh, and so and so we require. So people often will spend a bunch of time, uh, you know, saying capitalism is great, and then also then turning around and demanding it to solve, demanding that the the government step in and solve the where it falls down. Uh, and this is a fundamental. And every time the government has to step in, that should be understood as a limit. Uh, and there's one last limit, ma. Yeah, before I go into describing this book, which I think is quite significant in analyzing what we're talking about today, I just want to say I personally find it helpful to think about capitalism as an ideology. It's a belief system. I I seldom talk about capitalism myself because I like to talk about the real economic system we have, which is not a form of pure market capitalism for all the reasons that you've just described, Stefan. Um, I like to talk about real power structures and real people. And so I, I don't, I think it's really important to acknowledge the ideology that has driven the current economic system that we live under, but I also think it's really important to unpack it. So the, the, the point that I want to bring up is that something that really challenged the predominant ideology of the time was the book, The Limits to Growth. So this was published in 1972 by Meadows, Meadows and Ronders, and it was it was significant in that it looked at uh, findings based on a computer simulation. And this is back in the day where they had to have a giant computer uh, to do multivariate analysis. So you can imagine there were some real limits to what they could do. <laughs> um, that's an aside. So they looked at different variables. And these variables were world population, industrialization, pollution, food production, and resource depletion. Now, the thing that was landmark about this book was that current economic analysis had not included resources as being finite. Can you imagine this? This goes back to our earlier discussion that there were, there's no acknowledgement of what we call from a scientific perspective, planetary boundaries, or the fact that just that we live on a planet um, that is confined by the domain of a planet that has resources within it. So to me, um, this was a really significant addition to people's understanding and a platform to actually discuss, well, what happens in a world where where the, as they argued, these other variables just grow and grow and grow, um, and we have finite resources. And what they what they also included in their analysis, which got a lot of criticism, was the limitations of technology's ability to to increase with these other uh, variables. So they looked at modeling technology as sort of a linear increase, whereas things like population growth would be exponential um, against finite resources. So there are a lot of criticisms around what they did and didn't get wrong. It's always easier to criticize things, um, you know, once we've seen what actually happened. Um, And one of the things is that they thought that we would reach a limit in terms of our ability to extract fossil fuels going back to our conversation around fossil fuels. Well, this didn't prove to be true. We just found new and clever ways to get more things out of the ground. But ultimately, that doesn't alter the scenario that they were predicting, that there would be a massive crisis of all these variables basically intersecting about mid-century, the century. And 
there have been subsequent studies looking at whether their predictions are largely on track or not that have confirmed actually when you look at the environmental factors and the impact, for example, of climate change on all these other, you know, how it'll impact world populations, food production, um, the role of pollution, all that kind of thing, um, they're not necessarily that far off. So I think when we look at discussing the economic system, and we include a robust discussion on the limits to growth, um, to me, it's just common sense that we would look at this in the context of finite resources. But still today, in our mainstream conversation, we are looking at a pattern of growth and human development that is based on a model of continuing to extract, extract, and extract without recognizing um, on a human timeline that that's becoming less and less feasible. Deirdre's nodding, so I think she might want to jump <laughs> in here and say something about this. No, I was gonna. I was gonna actually mention resources because I was gonna ask you guys um, if you thought that capitalism might be more successful if we did have infinite resources, like a hypothetical world where we had all the natural resources that we needed. Uh, to some extent, theoretically, like yes, you know, like if in, in part that well, it's funny about it is that I think capitalism actually creates. Uh, capitalism relies on scarcity, right? Capitalism requires, like, the, the fact that we currently have, uh, say, enough resources for, uh, for, for to feed everyone, and yet we don't. Every single famine in the last, you know, the last little while has been has been a economical famine, not a resource famine. Uh, so, to some extent, uh, while I think it would be definitely better, um, uh, to some extent, we're still treating it as if it is right now. Right now, we're acting as if as if everything's unlimited uh, because right now it is. You know, right now we can keep pulling things out, and yet we still look around today. We still see the, stuff, the different problems that we're having. Uh, so. Yes, I think it would it, it would allow it would it would it would require some. It actually goes back to this conversation we had last week, which is that I think we can end up with a we can end up with a scenario which is fully we can stop climate change without being sustainable, uh, and that would sort of. And I think if we have limited resources, we could start. We could still be. We would still remain the fact that we'd be that would make us sustainable to some extent. Uh, but we'd still have this whole climate change issue uh, and sort of all of the other issues that we sort of see within capitalism. Capitalism with 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 you know the created scarcity. Yeah, I think you raised a really important point, Stefan, which is taking the equity lens. So we have presently, on this present juncture in time, um, we have enough resources to feed everyone and for people to live long and healthy lives. Mm -hmm. We don't because um, there's a disproportionate allocation of resources to very few people. Um, but take that and apply it to this kind of simulation where population growth is one of the factors. And it is a real factor, but it can also lead people, I think, to the wrong conclusion which is simply by saying, well, if we just cap population growth, it's going to be all fine. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's only one factor. And what's more important is looking at the distribution of resources and also how that impacts the extraction process and how we use them up. So who is actually using up resources at an unsustainable rate? By capping population in some of the lowest income countries, are we addressing the fact that Canada is ramping up extractive practices, polluting while we go, and using up natural resources at a much more accelerated rate than other parts of the world, for example. It does not address that. So I think we need to be very careful in our analysis in that it needs to be a balanced analysis that does look at these factors like population growth and food supply, but also looks at the power structures of how resources are distributed. Oh, and who gets to decide how we're, you know, and how we're, how we're, how we're, how we're for allocating them and also what we spend it on. You know, talk about population growth. What about the population growth to throw a bone to our lovely friends, the vegans? Uh, the population growth of, of animal agriculture. Uh, how many more people could we sustain if we weren't trying to also sustain the number of cows we currently have in this world? Uh, and so I think, I think fundamentally... Cows I, per capita. Cows per capita, exactly. <laughs> uh, which in some, in some states, it's, if, in some states, there's like nine states where there are more cows than people. Uh, and <laughs> That's so, a fun fact. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it was the, the headline was even more clickbaity. I think the headline was these if if cows took over the took, if cows revolted, these nine states would be totally doomed. Would they vote for Trump? Oh, definitely. Excellent segue. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we'll, we'll throw uh, to Alex again in half one second. But again, you're listening to CIUT eighty nine point five, and this is the Green Majority. 
And welcome back to the Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 or one of our radio radio syndicates all across the country uh, or at rebel.ca or maybe you listen to our podcast. Either way, you listen to us, which is why we love all of you. Uh, this is Stephen Hosetter in studio. Uh, so we are going to quickly bring this back to a Canadian context. We talk about resources a lot in resource uh, extraction and, and the limits of growth. Uh, and one part of the one part about this, uh, of course, is that Canada is is or at least the, the, the Trudeau government is giving a lot of uh, a lot of at least lip service uh, to the idea of shi- uh, of that we we're shifting somewhat, uh, I mean, not shifting away from being a resource, resource economy, but sort of you know diversifying is always the word, right? You always got to diversify. Uh, and you know while he still thinks pipelines are important for for shift to clean energy, uh, there's still some a lot a lot of talk about this idea of maybe moving away, being less of a resource extractive techno or place, and moving towards a larger, a wider scope. Of, uh, of initiatives, uh, and, and 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 we're seeing this in a couple different ways. We sort of met, briefly mentioned uh, Tim Nash popped up and mentioned last week. When we got to we got to briefly talk about it two weeks ago. Actually, we briefly got to talk about the, the platform economy, which is something I'm obsessed with, and I will eventually uh, stop being obsessed with. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, but Don't it, stop. It, we all need to be obsessed with it. <laughs> Yay! Uh, all right, I will never stop. Sorry, everyone. Uh, Ma made me. Uh, but what we're seeing also is, is different ways in that you know, there's Waterloo is becoming quite the hub for for in, innovation and technology sort of pieces. Uh, and and then we're also looking at this larger a, a larger uh, a, a larger shift uh, towards sort of just moving away from resources at being required for living at all. You know, uh, we 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 cannot go an episode without saying mentioning the tool library as a great example of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're contractually obligated to some extent. Um, <laughs> Not actually, but of course, they would be very mad if I pretended we were actually contracting obligated to mention the tool library, but I will continue anyways. Uh, but the idea that sort of, there was an interesting article written by, uh, by Tanya Sermon, uh, the CEO of, 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 of the Center for Social Innovation, where I where happened to also work out of, um, uh, which sort of highlighted that innovation needs to be understood not only as a tech side, but also in a social side, uh, in the ways that social innovation can actually, impu- it, it can actually change uh, and, and improve lives. Uh, and and I think that's something that we don't really think about that much. Um, and a second, if I can throw, so I want to throw that to the round to uh, throw a question. You guys have half seconds to so get ready for that question. Uh, but the other thing about I find so interesting is a different article which I haven't got to mention yet, but I find so fascinating, which is all of this. Uh, there's constantly a hub about talking about how great innovation is and how much it ignores the maintainers of the world. And there was this great article uh, that I will find in post on the show post about about just giving credit credit where credit is due to the people who are maintaining the world. Because main, maintenance of the world, no one fully, fully, we never give any value to that to some extent. Uh, you know, the people who are, who, is, who go day in and day out to make sure that we can do all the things we're trying to do. Uh, but what, what we really care about is what's the next, next big thing. Uh, so, uh, so I'll throw an MA and then we'll swing around Deirdre. How do you sort of see a Canada moving away to some extent, uh, or or how would you like to see Canada move away from resource based economy and more towards a uh, more towards a social or what's your solution? Oh, that's that's <laughs> not a small question at all. No, it's not. So, no, it's not. So my my opening comment is that you know we're seeing a lot of hardship in terms of jobs loss uh, based on the the tar sands industry and the global price of oil. And this is a tremendous opportunity for us as a country to actually say, okay, the old way of doing things is not serving people. And that's really what it's about. It's about people and their their livelihoods, first and foremost. So why not treat it as an opportunity to retrain people in industries that are value-added, value are more innovative, are not just simply based on the extraction process itself. So... What deeply concerns me, instead of using this as sort of a catalyst moment where we say, okay, let's just let go of the notion that our economy has to be centered on this and move into a new era and take the appropriate policy measures and uh, capacity building measures that need to make that happen. What we're seeing instead is that you know, the the current government, the liberal government, which is newly elected, has lots of capital, has a whole mandate ahead of us, they're not facing an election, is actually losing their nerve, I think. Mm-hmm. They're, they're looking at the politicization of the situation out west, and they're saying, oh, this is not the time for us to bring in this brave new vision. We're, instead, we're going to walk back a little bit, um, and we're going to say, okay, well, pipelines need to be part of the solution of catalyzing us. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. If something has proven 
faulty and actually failed people and led to job losses, why would you then go back and bolster support for that same thing that has proven to be a failure? <laughs> so if, if the global price of oil and gas um, is volatile and, and this can happen again, why would we put more eggs in that basket to catalyze the transition? Why would we not just put resources into catalyzing the transition? Right, for sure. And Deirdre? Uh, I say we uh, stop subsidies and see what happens to, uh, <laughs> to oil and gas. Uh, you, mean, you mean get to a real <laughs> capitalist society? What are you? You can't be on this show. But, um, but what's interesting is that I think we're already kind of moving towards that new economy and we're so obsessed with labels. We keep calling it capitalism, but I think like we're, we've been talking about, we're already moving away from the ideal capitalism. And I think small groups of people are already turning capitalism and what we call capitalism into a different kind of entity. And we can still call it capitalism for as long as we want. <laughs> we'll call but, it whatever you like, everyone. It's but fine. it's going to morph. I think it's slowly morphing into something that might actually be good for Canada and the world and the sharing economy and all the community uh, hubs that are popping up, makerspaces, tool libraries. This whole new economy still has elements of capitalism in it, but it's uh, it's turning into something pretty cool. Yeah, um, and I think that's a I think that's I think that's a very hopeful way to to to, to wrap up our conversation at least about capitalism. In some sense, is that uh, if if the goal is to really provide uh, enough for everyone. Uh, which I think, if you ask that question to all, to ninety nine point nine percent of people, should a should a society provide enough to everyone? Uh, I think everyone would say yes. Uh, and I think we've tried for 200 years uh, to this thing that we're calling capitalism, which I think mm -hmm. is right. You know, the fact that we're talking about subsidies at all is a, all, is a fundamental example of the ways that we're failing to really actually create <laughs> what people would be fully uh, would, would be able to call capitalism. Um, yeah, I think the so-called capitalism is what we should be start calling yeah, it instead. Just don't call it communism. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but I think there's. I, I think you're right. I think. I think if we, if we, if if if, we, if our goal really our goal is to as enough for everyone, uh, then I think we have to look at how. The question becomes, how do we do that? Yeah, start from there and work backwards. Let's let go of all these labels. These are so yeah. antiquated. I mean, People I'm like a I'm a 21st century person. <laughs> I don't want to be talking about capitalism and communism and the <laughs> confines of ideologies. I want to be talking about the solution and then working back from that and seeing how we get there. And yeah. make a label. Yeah, exactly. A really cool one. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, with, one of the with one of the new maker spaces. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I think, I think and it's, what's interesting is, is people have been doing this all over the world for so long, right? Like, I, I, you know, we've understood capitalism as a dominant ideology that sort of created this sort of the infrastructure around, around the world. But people have been finding ways to live underneath the system forever. Uh, or it, it, we say underneath, but maybe above, maybe just not. Uh, people have not played the game and still lived this entire time, uh, and so the idea that we need this massive, this, this sort of ideology to keep living is is, uh, is 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 a very short-sighted way to look at history. Uh, so with, with with that close, we still have five minutes on the show, uh, and it would be remiss not to at least mention Donald Trump. Uh, I used Trump uh, because that was his original name a couple, a couple, for a while. Uh, not his his person, but his family name. Uh, John Oliver has a great bit about making Donald Trump Donald Trump again, uh, which is just really funny. Uh, also, before I, we switch on topics, I just want to mention that uh, as Deirdre actually said at the break, uh, the Canadian government will actually be matching any donation to the Red Cross made for the Fort McMurray crisis. Uh, so please look into that and, and support it where you can, because of course, again, so enough for everyone <laughs> means enough for these people. Uh, uh, so please do help where you can. Uh, but to switch over completely topics uh, to to the wonderful man across across the south of the border, uh, I don't like. I feel like we have to talk about it in part because it's kind of terrifying. But I'm also not sure if this is actually a useful way to discuss uh, the possibility of his uh, of of his presidency beyond a question of is this fundamentally a critique of how the status quo. If anything, I sort of feel like the 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 images of, of the two candidates that will end up being Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump, I'm sorry, Bernie supporters, but I really fundamentally do not believe he has a shot. Um, uh, is is this is this question of the Democrats want someone better than Clinton, but she, there she is, and then Donald Trump is perhaps the biggest just 
it is proof of the complete failure of the GOP uh, 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 possible. Uh, so is there a way that we can talk about this usefully, Emma? So I think it's useful to me in that I think these these two are sort of archetypes of the discussion that we've been having. Mm. Trump is the unchecked capitalist ideology, basically. No check. He just he's built his fortune himself. He's a you know, this is his story. This is his story. Sorry, 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 Let me put this in quotes. (laughs) Right. I, uh, you know, he projects this image of the self-built man who's not accountable to anybody and just the rugged pursuit of of wealth, basically. Mm -hmm. And, and so that he's very much telling the, the capitalist story, even though we all know that he was born into extreme privilege and probably has lost more money than he's made if he just put it in a high interest savings account. But, um, the and then Hillary is sort of the archetype of as you're saying stuff in the status quo where um, we basically just sort of continue on with the same um, same economic and political systems that we know are resulting in poor outcomes in terms of wealth inequality and you know uh, accelerating climate change. She's kind of to me embodies a lot of that kind of thinking, even though she may be socially progressive on some individual issues. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you're, I think that's, that, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it, it will be a fascinating six months because uh, I think you're right. I think there's this two, there are these two sides of this, you know, we like incremental changes enough and versus just pure chaos. I think there's no other real version of way to understand the Donald Trump candidacy or what a Donald Trump presidency would look like uh, beyond just pure pure amoral chaos. Uh, I think he's he's presented himself as a sort of as, as a sort of as a, you know a businessman who will get make and he simplifies everything to the point of absurdity. Uh, and I think he does a fantastic job in sort of shining a light on all of the absurd pieces of, uh, of the American system to some extent. Uh, you know, you look at, you, you look at the, the way he got elected on, say, I think it's like 6 million or t- I think it's like, like 6 million votes in a $300 million, $300 million uh, person uh, country. Uh, like, you know, he, he won like a pitiful amount of, of the votes. I just want to set Deirdre up for a last comment Amazing. as we're running out of time. So one thing I just want to point out, so we've we've actually seen a broadening of the U.S. political spectrum. So we've got Trump sort of on one end, we've got Hillary in status quo middle, and then we've got Bernie Sanders' campaign, which has been kind of stretching its muscle to extend the other end of the spectrum. Deirdre, what do you, what do you make of the way things are shaping up? Because this is a very different race than the last U.S. Mm. election. It's it's like a it's kind of like a comic strip or a graphic novel <laughs> to me in the characters and their their archetypes and how well they fit into each archetype. Uh, so <laughs> I just I'm excited to uh, see see this race and its and its end and uh, even even back to Fort, Fort Murray. That's almost a Shakespearean in its tragedy. So I I just feel like we're kind of living in a big old story right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's very, very accurate. Uh, and, well, we'll be following all of these issues as they're ongoing. Uh, and with that, uh, this has been The Green Majority. Uh, with If everything goes well, Darren will be back with, you, with us next week. Uh, this has been The Green Majority on CIUT 89.5. Thank you for all our syndicates. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for rabbit.ca, and have a great green week, everyone. Talk to you later.